Welcome to Moose Kidding and Sponge Bath, also known as If the Apocalypse Comes Beat Me. We are a weekly podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where we take a look at every episode in the series according to its original air date 20 years ago. And this week's episode is season three, episode four, Beauty and the Beasts. We're going to be talking about plot, we're going to be talking about characters, and we're going to be talking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So spoilers bound for this episode, episodes before it, after it, and even stuff in the comics, and maybe even other movies and TV shows. We're your friends. We like you, we agree with you, and we'll tell you what you want to hear. So stick on. Hi! Hi, friends! My name is Kelly. I'm here again all the time, every time, with my wonderful co-host, Daniel. Say hello. Hello. Station, say hello. Hello. And we're here to talk about Beauty and the Beast, episode four. Originally aired on October 20th, 1998, season three. Written by Marty Knoxon, directed by James Whitmore, and uh, we just had that combo with Dead Man's Party. Um, this is... I actually ended up really liking this episode a lot before we tear into it, but what's just a, you know, let's, let's run down the plot. Which is tough for a filler episode, but there's actually a lot of shit going on in this episode. I mean, it's, uh, we've got a dead person who's torn to shreds. We immediately think the worst because Oz was let out of his cage. Um... So we spend the episode thinking that maybe Oz is going around killing people, and then we've got a couple more bodies to blame. But thanks to Willow's diligent newfound medical examiner skills, uh, we exonerate Oz. Turns out it's uh, Scree- Screepy. Screepy Pete, uh, who's creepy and scary. <laughs> Willow didn't exonerate him. Willow was convinced it was him. Well, yeah, but then when the, the results came back or whatever. No, strangers. Willow wasn't convinced. Until oh, it was inconclusive. That's right. It was inconclusive. Yeah. That's right. Famous. And that's when she was just like, at least you're not dating the cold-blooded jelly donuts. Then how did it... Man, I don't even remember. Anyway, uh, let us not forget about sweaty butt David Boreanaz, who has come back from the Hell Dimension also. We're meant to think that maybe he is the culprit too. But yeah, Screepy Pete. Uh, there is a brawl between Screepy Pete and Oz, uh, and then Screepy Pete and Angel. Screepy Pete loses. <laughs> I got a little bit of a need to adopt. It's creepy. <laughs> and uh, we have a weird moment with Angel crying into Buffy's uh, torso. Saying, Buffy. I really like Buffy. It. And that's the end. Um, nothing super consequential for the rest of the series, with the exception of Angel actually being back. He is here. He is not Angelus, we can assume, because he was, again, gently cradling Buffy's torso. Don't think that's a bad guy move. Uh, but maybe. A couple of firsts. <laughs> I mean, you know it's not. So. <laughs> Actually, there's only one real first. Uh, we have the new werewolf costume, which I prefer. This is this is the one that's the gay possum confirmed. That's uh, what the crew problematically referred to this costume as for us. Don't like it. I like it. It is a weird choice to think of now. When um, Willow tries to pull Oz off, you know, after... With his tail? tail. <laughs> With his tail. It, well, by his tail. It, it is literally the fabric being pulled up on his suit. And oh, yeah. It's yeah. noticeable. And it's, <laughs> it's a bad, bad call. It, it's weird that there's no hair on the face uh, because you, wolves have hair on their faces. But he's a werewolf. Which I get. Yeah. And I, like I said, I like the costume, so... I liked the transition. They didn't do a weird morph because they already kind of did it with the other guy. So I like that they just, like, zoom in on his eye mm-hmm. and then come off of it. Yeah, oh, that was really cool. That was but, smart. Yeah. Better, like a mm-hmm. better use of their their limited technology at the time. Yeah. They really wasted it on his fucking shaking face and creepy people. <laughs> yeah. They're going nuts. Yes, so. the they worst. Did. The worst. Um, I do have a convoluted fun fact for this episode. Now, the Buffy Wikia credits the simple throwaway line of Faith being like, um, "All men are beasts," from uh, sensitive to manimal or whatever. Right? They think that that's a direct reference to the failed 1983 show Manimal. I think she was just making a, a portmanteau of the word man and animal, but not not Buffy Wikia. So I did a little digging on what Manimal is. It was six episodes in 1983, ran on NBC, uh, canceled before the first episode finished airing, but... <laughs> <laughs> like halfway wow, through the episode, like... they were like, no, no, <laughs> garbage, done. Did I say season because before the first season finished airing. Did I say episode? That's yeah. all My bad. Uh, <laughs> that shit does happen. They film the whole thing and it's canceled before it even comes out. Yeah. And they'll just burn it off. show actually that NBC premiered that fall, all of them were canceled before the end of the season. So NBC was cool. like, we well, messed like, up. That's yeah. their era right after like Community and everything was done too. Like every comedy they had failed. Oh yeah. Time. In case you're curious. 
Animals. The series, uh, like I said, on NBC, and the show centered around Dr. Jonathan Chase. Wealthy, young, handsome. A man with the brightest of futures. A man with the darkest of pasts. From Africa's deepest recesses to the rarefied peaks of Tibet, heir to his father's legacy and the world's darkest mysteries. My son, you must have faith and learn. This is not the end. This is the beginning. Jonathan Chase. Master of the secrets that divide man from animal. Animal from man. Manimal. He uses these abilities to help the police, naturally. I don't know if that ever gets explained. I don't know. Uh, all I did was watch the intro, and there's a hilarious little clip where I'm assuming his female partner grabs uh, a lizard or a snake off of a bed, assuming it's... Our friend Manimal, for jokes on her, it's a real snake because Manimal comes up behind her in its human form. Oh. So she freak. Oh, what a mix-up! Uh, yeah, it, it looks really bad. Uh, it was interesting though. The first two seasons of Buffy kind of hit or miss. We do have that intro into every generation a Slayer is born, and Manimal does the same thing. They explain the whole shebang to us at the beginning of every all six episodes. Uh, also, in two thousand two. It was reported that Sony Pictures was developing an action slash CGI based film based on Manimal. It's supposed to star Will Ferrell and uh, or be produced by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. So, what happened? It's not. I, I mean, the 2014 was the last update on it, so probably not going to happen. But the fact that thank God. Now, do we think that Faith was actually mentioning a show that would have come out either the year she was born or possibly the year before? No. So I don't know, do I feel, was that fun or not? I don't know. That was definitely a fact. I mean, sorts, I, but. I did know something, I, I now know something I didn't know before this, sure. so is, thanks. Is that good, though? Yeah, that's where I'm like. One for the ages. So this episode is very heavily based off of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, obviously, because our boy Screepy Pete Screepy goes Pete. from <laughs> regular creep to animal creep. Screepy Pete. <laughs> goes from creep to Screepy uh, by drinking the formula. <laughs> So, uh, I was curious about Dr. Jekyll, so, and Mr. Hyde, let's not forget, uh, and Anastasia to enlighten us as to the, the story of those eponymous characters. Can you please tell me about them? Yes, I can. <laughs> Scroopy Jekyll. I will have you Scroopy say Scroopy by the end of this. Just I'm not it. saying it. I hate everything about it. I hate the word. Making me feel physically nauseous. <laughs> Alright, so the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or as it was originally known, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He Jekyll. named it after someone he knew. Named Jekyll. Jekyll's the worst. Jekyll. <laughs> Jekyll. Screepy Jeek. Screepy Jeek! Time to officially put that to bed. <laughs> it's not his fault. I mean, he's not himself when he gets like this. You mean Pete? It's me. I make him crazy. He, he just does what he does because he loves me too much. For those of you that don't know, it's a gothic novella written by Robert Louis Stevenson, originally published in 1886. I'm going to go over the summary of it back in the Victorian era when they were had weird thoughts about all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> but for people that just know of it as the general term of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and haven't actually read the book... It is told from the perspective of a lawyer called Mr. Utterson, and it's uh, he talks about Dr. Henry Jekyll, who was a morally upright and wealthy doctor. He was known to be good-looking and personable, and everyone loved him. He was very charming. But he started acting weird, and he seemed to have this weird association with this guy called Mr. Hyde that everyone found really off-putting for no discernible reason except for the fact apparently he was just generally awful in every way. And uh, this girl ends up being found beaten and nearly dies, but she lives. And then Dr. Jekyll reappears in society and stops, stops being weird and like casts off all his association with Mr. Hyde until the sad old man gets killed. 
He's a sad old man. I don't know, just a random guy. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so he kills this old guy and um, basically ends where the lawyer finds the body of Dr. Hyde in a letter, or finds the body of Mr. Hyde in a letter written in the hand of Dr. Jekyll, but not Dr. Jekyll's body, explaining that he had created a potion to unleash the evil side of himself, known as Mr. Hyde, and uh, they lived peaceably for a while until Mr. Hyde started, you know, killing people. So he stopped drinking the potion, except um, eventually he just started turning into Mr. Hyde unwillingly, first in his sleep, and then when he was conscious, and that's why he was acting so weird and why. You could pour out everything I made, and it wouldn't help. And you want to know why? Yeah, it's supposed to be really scary. But yeah, so then the letter goes on to say, I decided to kill myself because I knew that my death was the only way I could stop Mr. Hyde. Like, at this point, like, it's out of my control and I can't do anything about it. So, die. The biggest point of contention I have with this is, like, some Clark Kent Superman shit. Like, how do they not know it was him, right? He didn't, did he change No, he looked different. Oh, okay. Which is something we'll talk about. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, he did look different, um... I mean, like we see in Buffy, not at all like that. But, like, obviously you wouldn't look at them and think, oh, probably the same person. Dr. Jekyll is supposed to be broad and, like, well-built and attractive and generally a good person. Like, if you thought of, like, the best morally upright person, you would picture him. Mr. Hyde is described as, quote, pale and dwarfish. He gave an impression of deformity without any nameable malformation. He had a displeasing smile. He had borne himself to the lawyer with a sort of murderous mixture of timidity and boldness, and he spoke with a husky, whispering, and somewhat broken voice. Essentially, he's described as being deformed without actually having an active deformity in any way, but to the point that if you were to look, gaze upon him, you would recognize there's something wrong with him, and you would want to avoid him by his sheer grossness. <laughs> and so Jekyll takes on those characteristics? So he turns he into this person. He's okay. like a completely different body. He's smaller and uglier and deformed in some That's unnameable insane. way. That's insane. Yeah. And so uh, I was looking Deform. into it, and apparently the Victorians, and you've probably noticed this if you've ever read any classic books, and it's like someone came upon an illness and then they die but it's very unspecified and you don't know what it is or what happened or they had some sort of mental weakness and it caused their death and it doesn't make sense to victorians like physical and mental like illnesses or disabilities they weren't um separated it was the same idea of like your mental state leads to how you look physically and your physical state leads to your mental wellness so if you look if you have some sort of disfigurement you are going to be an evil person. Cool. <laughs> and if you are an Classic. evil person, you will probably have a disfigure- disfigurement. And they had, you know, places where they would separate people um, who were disabled or disfigured in some way from the rest of society so that you wouldn't have to see them. You'd see them in prisons and workhouses and freak shows, mm-hmm. most commonly, so that you could, like, when you did see them, you'd recognize, like, oh, they're, like, I can't catch what they have. Right. And so that people. And so that seems to be the general thing with Mr. Hyde is like he doesn't need to be physically disfigured in an obvious way because he is so evil, you just like recognize that he probably is. <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah. It's a, like a, this weird sort of thing where if you were a Victorian and you're reading it would make perfect sense to you, you'd be mm-hmm. like, Of course. But like reading it now, you're like, Well, what does that mean? That he has the impression of deformity without any nameable malformation. Like that's such a weird you look at him and you think there's something wrong with that cat. Can't put my finger on it. You know, like, it's bizarre. They were much scared of much different things than we are today. It's literally like, that guy looks a little weird, and he also has weird handwriting at times. This is a scary story. Mm-hmm. Trust me, this is a scary yeah. story. Hi, for those of you who have just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. So it's been redone and, like, reinterpreted since, you know, the 1880s. But, um... So people have taken different paths on exploring it. A lot of it, you end up with the DID, like the old term is multiple personality disorder, but where you have like these different personalities that don't have any memory of what the other personality is doing. Um, So you can like live out your evil (laughs) inclinations without, I guess, any sort of repercussion. Well, it's funny weird that he like, if he's going to have swallow skin and like look weird or whatever how do you just change that on a dime if you're just i'm a normal person now and then i'm back to being high like what do you have to do 
Right. It's like star of yours, but is it like daily? Does it happen every day, or does it take months to become well, hide or well, whatever? I think the point is it's supposed to be like magic, right? Like yeah. it's some sort of potion that's like instantly changing him. But it's also interesting, like Mr. Hyde is smaller and weaker, and the implication being that his evil has been like less um, flexed than his virtue. Like, as the doctor, he's been good for a long time. He's helped a lot of people. But, like, as Mr. Hyde, like, he's, like, this, like, baby evil that hasn't had a chance to grow powerful yet. Like, that seems to be the implication. And a lot of times, that's the way it's played off. But, like... Who are you? What do you want? Kill the stag! Now, in popular culture, you think of Mr. Hyde as, like, this, like huge monster like bigger and scarier like in Buffy you see he gets like the extra muscles and like the veins and you get this idea of like this is someone who could like he rips the metal door off that Mm -hmm. apparently Oz can't when he's a werewolf so it's like a shriveled Voldemort before he gets yeah it's just a weird head it's fair it was foolish of you to come here tonight Tom the orders are on their way by which time I shall be gone and you shall be dead. Yeah, um, so I also wanted to talk about just how the book was uh, came to be because I thought the background of it was interesting. Apparently, um, Stevenson's wife said that uh, one night that she was wake- woken up when she was sleeping because he was crying in his sleep. Like he was screaming and uh so she woke him up like oh my god are you okay and he apparently said quote why did you wake me i was dreaming a fine boogie tale <laughs> and apparently at that point she'd woken him the first time dr chuckle had turned in mr hyde like in his dreams so it was this dream that he had and then he was like this is great i need to follow this i dreamt that giles and i opened an office supply warehouse in vegas but apparently around the same time he had he was friends with an Edo- edinburgh-based French teacher named Eugene Chantrell. Because I'm crazy about a cat. Just the feel of the leather makes me want it. <gasps> it's all coming together. <laughs> it's all coming together. Um, who, by all accounts and purposes, like everyone thought he was like the nicest guy, was an upstanding citizen, but he was uh, convicted and executed for the murder of his wife. Nice. <laughs> Apparently, he um, poisoned her with opium. Nice. Yeah, and so uh, there is also suspicion that he possibly killed people in France and Britain by feeding them a dish of toasted cheese and opium at supper parties. So, but apparently uh, Stevenson was, like, friends with this guy and was like, I can't believe this could happen. How could he hold this, like, secret evil? So he wrote the first book, first draft, in three days, apparently. And then um, he gave it to his wife, who was, like, I don't know, his editor in some way. Like, she would critique what he was doing. And uh, apparently he was in the toilet. (laughs) Whatever that means. Well, she read the manuscript. It's not very long. It's only like 80 pages or something. And she told him that the story was really an allegory, but he was writing it like it was a story. And so (laughs) she said that she left. And when she came back, he had burnt his manuscript completely. And he was like, that way I can't try and salvage this. I have to start all over. You showed me the way that this is complete garbage. (laughs) I need to write it as an allegory. Um, And then apparently rewrote it in three days on what some people claim was a cocaine binge. Other people say that he was near his deathbed and he was very sick and bedridden. So who knows? Those are quite different. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the other. (laughs) His friends were like, oh yeah, he was doing a lot of drugs. And his (laughs) wife was like, no, he was sick and bedridden. I don't know. But either way, he wrote it uh, in a couple of days. And just kind of like barfed it forth. (laughs) After a weird dream. It's like Twilight. Just taking a shit. Got this. Why not? That's wild. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I don't think I've ever thought about that book in my entire life. Like the real book you know i read it in high school yeah, i don't think i ever did so it reminded me a lot of um frankenstein like yeah, the narrative device of having someone like telling the story like i know that in frankenstein it's the monster that's telling the story right. but i don't know it's like that like weird step back where you think it's probably going to be dr jekyll and mr hyde and they're just like these weird characters doing things in the background yeah those are always the weirdest ones heart of darkness is like that too it's all mm-hmm. just one long story being told to someone else mm-hmm. the whole thing is in quotation marks and yep. it's very jarring to read mm-hmm. yeah. so weird times those victorians crazy they're weird dr jekyll dr j 
Dr. Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll. Mr. Hyde. Tiny <laughs> and formed without any actual reason to be. Doctor. One's a doctor and one's just a mister. But yep. then they mold together. They should both be doctors at that point. Ooh, you would think. Transfer of knowledge, you know? Mm-hmm. So does that degree transfer? Apparently not. That's the answer. This episode I actually really enjoyed. Um, it, for me, cements my feelings about season three as a whole. Uh, with the exception of the hiccup that is Anne and Dead Man's Party. I feel like this is where the show really gets its legs. We've established who we are. We don't have to really uh, explain and reaffirm our characters or our relationships anymore. We know who we are. We're fully in, immersed in this world. And it just feels better. Everything, I don't know, everybody's lines are sharp. Everybody's super witty. Like every, The characters as I know and love them, the show as I know and love it, takes shape uh, in this season and specifically from Faith, Hope, and Trick and going forward. Um, as an episode that's just a filler episode, this is of a higher caliber. I remember this episode being really shitty, and it's it's not, actually. There's a lot of cool stuff that goes on. This Oz has more lines of dialogue in this episode, I think, than any other episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. with the exception of uh, Fate, or... Uh, oh, my God. The I'll episode where he, he cheats on Willow. I was just going to say, uh, uh, New Moon Rising or No, something? that's when he comes back with Tara. I can't oh. remember what it's called. Uh, my bad. Just a thought. Poker, not your game. Anyway, he, and all his lines are great. Uh, I've lifted them to use my own vocabulary before, so thanks for that, Oz. Um, and it just really feels good. Uh, I Only Have Eyes for You was the last really good filler episode we had, and there's a lot of this season, because that's just how these stories are structured, that don't impact the overall plot, the, you know, the, the arc of the season. So even though this episode has nothing to do with the mayor or what's going to happen with Faith and Buffy, uh, which the majority of the episodes don't, they all feel great. Every episode of this season with a couple of a couple of little missteps, even though they have nothing to do with that, are really good. So I'm glad this is the first one that really feels um, like a filler episode that has teeth that means something. So... What uh, what stood out to you guys about this episode, Daniel? What do you what do you have to say about this episode? I I really thought I was gonna hate this episode. It yeah. was hyped up as being really bad, so I was ready for the badness. But I I found myself really enjoying it. That being said, you know, collecting quotes and stuff for this episode, there's not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really well written and really well done, but it doesn't have. It's not as funny as some of the other episodes. I mean, especially Faith, Hope, and Trick was just quote after quote after quote after quote. There's so much. That you just want to keep and save, but here it's just it is long passages of like serious topics, mm-hmm. and I kind of really like that. But it was also really heavy-handed, while at the same time sticking to its guns. Like you might not, the message might be a bit much, but it's like at least A, B, and C, all of the plots, all of our men that were animals, it all made sense. They all had their own stories, but it all related back to a story in and of itself and that was great and the call the wild stuff was hacky it was corny it was cheesy but it worked it worked at the beginning and it worked at the end uh and it's really interesting just like everybody what's weird too is like xander wasn't even part of it xander got his own episode kind of like this where the pack you know the worst Mm -hmm. the worst but it's funny that they just were like Go sit over here, buddy. I mean, yeah. Cordelia jokes at the end. She's not even in the episode. She's like, <laughs> yeah. what even happened this episode this week, guys? And so, and Xander, I think, was completely... <laughs> what this it's episode? true. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> true. It was just pushed off, too, which was pretty, I don't know, pretty interesting. It's it's a weird look. And at first, it was jarring because, like, I, I remembered the guy, uh, Screepy Pete, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, oh, this is going to suck. And then Angel coming back as, like, a, a literal animal. I was like, oh, my God, this is so over the top. Mm-hmm. And then I just like got used to it. And I'll be honest, that moment where we he says Buffy's name, I was like, oh my God, I actually care. I actually care about these two people. And that is out of my wheelhouse. So that was really <laughs> weird for me. And just Buffy, I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, again, yeah. absolutely destroys it. And her just crying was very affecting. It was really good. Yeah, I think she does a great job in the scene. My only bone to pick with that scene is just how goofy his face looks, which he can't help that. That's his face. Just when he's like, huh. His eyes are like mostly closed. I don't know. Angel? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's still silly at the end when she's like sitting there in the mansion and he's just like having like a whimpering dog dream or something. Like, (laughs) okay, we fucking get it. (laughs) Those are the scenes are a little rough. I understand the point of it, but I mean, we need to talk about how he got those pants. 
Right. Do we mm-hmm. know? No, we don't. No, we don't. We'll never know. <laughs> she just found them, and they were the most, like, gross, like, of, you know. Yep. He found but, cargo pants and shoes from somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, and we know the answers, because we couldn't just have his... his Bore out his butt. His butt everywhere. And everywhere. Things yeah. flopping places. So. They also did a lot of, like, foreshadowing of, like, the domestic abuse stuff, which did not actually start right away, which I kind of thought it would. It really was a slow buildup. But you have, like, Xander. The last time we saw him before the end, he was talking about Wolf's play, which, again, is kind of funny because he did the pack. But he said, he's just playing around. I'll bat you around a little or whatever. Mm. He said something like that. And I was just like, oh, man, they're really, they're doing good work laying down, foreshadowing what's going to happen here. Because we we see Debbie and, and Scoopy Pete early Mm -hmm. but we don't see them again until the cafeteria scene and then we don't see them again until the third act of the final act of the show i make him crazy he he just does what he does because he loves me too much i think the episodes where the true monster is a human is always um unique to buffy like Mm -hmm. it rarely happens so even though we get this like sort of smorgasbord of monsters like feral angel who would be a monster and then Oz as a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Like, the true monster is this guy who's just a person. He's yeah. terrible. But he has a formula. Yeah. But so I think <laughs> that helps, like, add the gravity to the situation of what is otherwise a really goofy transformation scene where he just kind of shakes his head and gets really red. Like, that feels cheesy to me, but I like the actual, like, sentiment behind it. Like, and then Buffy driving it home, like, at the end. Like, so he wasn't even on anything. And she was like, nope, just himself. Yeah. You know, like, that idea of him. Although I saw this as, like, a cipher for alcohol, too. Like, I mean, his whole thing was just, like, you're making me do this. You're the one that make me drink. Mm-hmm. This is why. And uh, I don't even need it, Debbie. I don't even need these bottles of booze. Yeah. Because you make me mad with your stupid voice and, what does he say, your stupid grating voice and your big mouth. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. just, and I just saw that as alcohol. And yeah, that was just, apparently intentional, too. It was supposed yeah. to be uh, a one-on-one for drinking and it's interesting how far they went with how heavy ended the episode uh we still use the monsters just a little bit enough like we can't straight up be like this is just a fucked up alcoholic guy we still have to make him turn into a weird roidy vanny guy it is the show though yeah it would be weird if they almost didn't i'm all you've got now debbie you hear me i am all you've got and it's just, it, you sort of look at all the shitty comments that he piles up, you know, the casual homophobia, the mm-hmm. monster, Barbie Journal, Ken with his earring mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Strange. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott Hope, not really into this guy. Very no, strange. Because he's being an out and out asshole. Scrappy Pete is being like just the fucking worst. So yeah. Scott's like, I don't know these people. Haha, <laughs> I really wish I didn't know these people. Yes. Yeah. But then it's he's weird because at the end he was like, they've been friends. My friend since kindergarten or yeah. whatever. Before school. Before school. What school? What we don't know. school? Who knows? Yeah, he mocks therapy faster than a Scientologist would, uh, saying Scott's mom has the wattage of a Zippo lighter and that therapy doesn't help anybody, especially if you're dumb like that. Uh, yep. He says later, yeah, check it out, Scotty. You like the manic depressive chick. Um, then, yeah, later on blaming Debbie. You know, you're the reason I started the formulas in the first place. Before calling her a whore and admitting to killing her psychiatrist. Do we ever get a name on that guy? Uh, Mr. Platt. Mr. Platt. Platt. He's the best. He was really fucking nice. Look, Buffy, any person, grown up, shrink, pope, any person who claims to be totally sane is either lying or not very bright. I mean, everyone has problems. Everybody has demons, right? Sam with you on that. Excellent. So the hope I bring you is demons can be fought. People can change. You can change. I mean, I assume the smoking thing was supposed to be like, look, I'm cool and hip and I don't care about the rules like other yeah, teachers. I think that was also, just... So you could have that scene of like the ashes it was and awful Buffy scene. being like, Absolutely. oh no. I think that was just dumb. Yeah, so th- whomever tacked that on the end, like, oh, it's, you know, smoking's bad for you, you'll die. It's, like, well, it's, uh, it's bullshit. It's addictive, you know. So we wanted to talk briefly about some statistics. If part of this show is supposed to be what, what was 20 years versus today, uh, I wanted to try to see maybe there's some kind of ray of light. And according to the DOJ, a, a published report from November of 2013, interim partner violence had declined 72% for women from 1993 to 2011. But uh, 
unfortunately, shit is still pretty bleak. Go figure. Um, especially the world we're living in today, it's just like it's shit always just feels awful for women. So I have some things to confirm that. Um, God. According to a Huffington Post article from 2017, approximately three women are murdered every day by an intimate partner. 4.5 million women experience violence, uh, intimate partner violence every year. 18,000 women have been killed by uh, men, their intimate partners, since 2003. Um, one in four women will be a victim of intimate partner violence in their lifetime. So that's 25% of every lady. It's just 25% of them. That makes it sound like only a quarter of women are abused, as in like a quarter of the... Never mind, that was weird. Uh, just women, the knees. Yeah, just, just the knees. Uh, women with disabilities are 40% more likely to experience domestic violence. Um, and 70 times... Women are 70 times more likely to be murdered within a few weeks of leaving their abusers, as opposed to any other time in their relationship. And 50% of all women that are murdered is because of an intimate partner. Uh, murder them so yeah it's bleak and so debbie is it's bleak city for for someone like debbie yeah i mean it tracks that she was trying to leave him presumably or at least he thought he she was going to and he killed her i don't think she was ever gonna leave that was almost the point it was like yeah. you should be going what are why are you not and she's like it's my fault I'm she the one. broke down yeah. yeah i think we broke her he does love me he does love me i think she was broken before this uh and th- these are just statistics from america and this is obviously a worldwide problem. Um, there are things called femicides where people in certain South American countries and other places that have uh, heavily involved in sex trafficking, especially where people are, women are just murdered in droves in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, so it sucks. And we are in a moment right now in this country where um, over and over again, we're being disappointed by our lawmakers who are just upholding the ideas that women are deserving of violence and uh don't deserve to be trusted or believed and it's really dark but we have an opportunity to make everyone better by teaching young men and young women what it is to uh what abuse is and how to talk about your feelings in constructive ways and just like be better healthier people um and it's oh my god just makes me think of that the line in this episode where faith is like all men are beasts, Buffy. Okay, I was hoping to not get that cynical till I was at least 40. It's not cynical, I mean, it's realistic. Every guy from animal down to Mr. I love the English patient has beast in him. And I don't care how sensitive they act. They're all still just in it for the chase. Buffy is telling this to Willow, presumably, and she's like, that's a broad generalization. I, I agree. Hashtag. I, no. Hashtag. Hashtag. No, no, no. I, was I was just like, thinking that. <laughs> uh, like, that's not the conversation we need to be having. If you're somebody who gets offended by the idea of women talking about violence against men or anything that, like, any, if you feel gross about it, if, if you're the one that's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be looking into this, you need to stop and self-examine. Because if you're that defensive when people are talking about real problems in the world, more than likely it's because you're feeling gross about something you've done in your life. And people are not beyond redemption. Instead of doubling down and burying your feet in the sand and being unwilling to change, maybe you could try. <laughs> try and be a little bit better. Stop being a manimal. <laughs> Stop being a manimal. No one wants you, especially not NBC. Um, well, if you've ever met anybody who's internalized that kind of stuff, it's that's probably what got me the most. It's like, Debbie, I've met Debbie. I yeah. know Debbie. Mm-hmm. So it's, it sucks. And they really nailed that spot on. Yeah. For a TV show, for teenagers, to try to get all that in. Right. I didn't expect very much out of this, and maybe that's why I thought this was going to be worse than it was. Mm-hmm. But Marty Knoxon really crushed it and really put a lot of dense information into this one character. Uh, and, and, you know, there's Debbie was never going to achieve redemption in this episode, and that's almost the point because it is, it is a harsh ending, and unfortunately that's what happens in more often than not. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was curious, your thoughts on, I thought Buffy was a little harsh. Buffy and Willow were a little harsh when they were confronting Debbie. Uh, do you think she was justified in being like, don't get hit? You're like, she, I felt kind of like she was putting the onus on Debbie a little bit in some of the scene. I was curious. I think she meant more like, don't get hit by don't being in the relationship. No, I, I, I get yeah. that. But like, she's in this situation. I thought maybe she could be a little bit more empathetic, but I guess I try to contrast that with the fact that she was actively trying to prevent the next person from dying. Like time was of the essence mm-hmm. and she was trying to get information from Debbie. So I, I think Willow was also the person that was like being comforting 
and Buffy was the one that I think you eventually reach with people like that. So it's almost like all the stages are meeting right there in that bathroom at one at one time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have Willow who's like, come on, let's go, let's do it. And Buffy's like, we have to go now. I'm so disappointed in you, Debbie. This keeps happening. <laughs> you know, it's like all of that just coming to a head. And obviously it's a show and it's like, we gotta, we literally have to go. Yeah. But often it is that life and death sort of thing. Like you gotta go now or it's, you know, this is, this is worse than it ever had been before. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we gotta do something. So no, I don't think she was too harsh. Yeah, I think it was a weird situation because obviously it's not Debbie's fault that he's acting the way that he's acting. No. Um, and it's like, Debbie, you're the only one that can give me this information and I need it right now. Like, I need you to tell me. Stop protecting him. But at the same time, like, the most dangerous time for is women living. is when you leave or try yeah. to leave. Yeah. In the context of the TV show and in that situation, yeah. it was like Buffy needed that information. She was trying to protect not just Debbie, but everyone around her because, you know, obviously he hadn't killed Debbie yet, but he was killing all these other people True. associated with her and she didn't know where he was or what he was doing. And Once it became a Jack Bauer situation where she takes her and then punches her other eye <laughs> oh and, like, God. chains her and, like, brings out a hot, you know, iron to, like... Give me the information now. Then we've gone, we've crossed a line. Mm-hmm. But where we were was was I think fine. Just tell me where the bomb is. Tell me where the bomb is now. Tell me where the bomb is. Just tell me where the bomb is. Where's the real bomb? Where's the bomb, Marie? The real bomb. Where's the memory chip? Where's the chip? Tell me where the evidence is. Tell me where the evidence is now. Where is the virus? Okay. Um. Yeah, I think this episode's great and they try to tackle a big thing that buffy usually doesn't do they usually sign away from this stuff so it's pretty neat let's yell some stuff do you guys have stuff you want to yell about sure yes wow wow trying to bring the fun <laughs> trying to bring the energy we're just screaming i like that you're us. now the one with energy <laughs> well it's a heavy episode it both is. for us and and for our characters so mm-hmm. shit you know let's try to bring it back uh daniel pre-posey they're pre-posy. Their relationships got oh, up. And Definitely. However, they're post-weird friendship ring. Like, where does that fall on the scale? The relationship spectrum? Yeah, so yeah. I'm very confused by their relationship, for sure. My most favorite thing so far is he doesn't seem to be some kind of hell beast. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's Buffy's how the uh, is. bar for men is very low. No wonder Riley clears it just amazingly <laughs> in the future. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. I mean, he does make Riley that. shade all the way in season three. <laughs> Ooh, Love it. Season four is going to be rough. R.I.P. Jeff Orkin. I was just going to yeah. say that. I never knew you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh. I love the cafeteria scene to, to piggyback on my boy Scott Hope. He has to flag down his girlfriend in a room of like no more than 25 people. Like, Buffy, Buffy, over here. <laughs> over here. It's like your relationship not doing well, my dude. I mean, in the last episode, we watched her ignore him for like 45 minutes. And then they're just together. It's just yeah. so weird. What a weird show. Yeah. The Jamie? magic of Buster Keaton. <laughs> yeah, this, oh, uh, Keaton is key. Keaton is key. <laughs> hey, uh, I, can't, I can't back you on that much. Nutritional demerits. Mm. My stomach doesn't want hard food today. But there's fruit in it. Those are marshmallows. Uh, I hate that I thought this was funny, but when Xander said... <laughs> We're doing crime here. You don't sneak up during crime. Will, Willow, she she hears, you need to go to the morgue, and she reads, I gotta break into the fucking morgue. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like, old habits die hard. I cannot believe that they just broke into the morgue, all three of them. And did this shit. Like it and then she's a medical mind. examiner that she would know what to look for oh, and how to analyze God. stuff. And just, but she's read so many. She's read so <laughs> much medical records, though. That's all she did in season one. She is prepared. Mm-hmm. I guess it is kind of true. Uh, when you woke up, if Giles ever yelled at me like that and was so disappointed, I would fucking cry on the spot and die. But just, he was so upset. Yeah. Oh, at Xander. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to say, the Xander is on Oswatch. This is Giles' fault. I I do not understand how parents. I know that his parents kind of suck, but like Willow's don't. I mean, Joyce obviously sucks. Faith doesn't have any. So like Giles is really winning on like these kids have no other structure, so they can do my bidding. But come on, like Giles being mad at a teenager, they he shouldn't fucking be there. They don't need. They shouldn't be the ones watching. That's really true. So I, I have no sympathy for that. Mm-hmm. And just to back up on that, asking Faith to do it. Like, to have Oz watch, I think it's fucking ludicrous. She's completely untested. Nobody knows anything about oh, this lady. True. 
she ended up being fine. Yeah, I guess. But we don't know anything about her. She was kind of weird, you know, the first time around uh, mm-hmm. in the last episode. But, I don't Well, know. the thing that always bugged me about that is, and I get the whole point is, like, oh, we have to suspect Oz. But, like, that window would have been open when he got in the cage. Yeah. He didn't open it as a werewolf and then just, like, sit back down, like, in front of Willow while she's reading him Call of the Wild. Which, by the way, that's the next thing I'm going to scream about. But... <laughs> uh yeah, so it wasn't like Xander opened the window. Right. Like, that should have been shut to begin with, and then to place all the blame on... He shouldn't have been sleeping, I thought but... they were implying that Oz, after Xander had fallen asleep, snuck out the window. But why would he come back in? Why would he come back in? So, I, yeah. yeah, well, I always thought it was... They assumed that's what happened, because there was a mauling, and so it had to have been Oz, because right. the window was open. I don't think he ever left. No, I don't think so. No. I think the window yeah. was just open. Just open, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, that's hard to get out of to begin with. I, but we also, s- we see him wake up in the woods a couple of times. He's yeah. not like as a werewolf. Like, better go home. Yeah. He's just like, oh, and now I'm a human and naked in the and woods. Naked <laughs> in the woods. And he's a- but like Faith, on top of that, like she obviously sucked at stopping fucking uh, Oz the first time. She couldn't shoot the gun. She got mauled by him. <laughs> like all you had to do was shoot him, and yet you go right for the hit. Like, what are you even doing? So the fact that they put so much faith. In faith, that's right. I did it. Was completely, completely ludicrous. And this is Giles. Giles dropping the ball this episode. I gotta say. Mm-hmm. I, I believe the uh, subtext here is, is rapidly becoming uh, a text. The call of the wild bullshit. I'm sorry. We've already got Beauty and the Beast as a reference. <laughs> Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde as reference. And now you're gonna pull in Call of the Wild. Like how many beastly, wolfy type things? Like let's just go. For it and just bring in like Frankenstein and a mummy and the swamp thing and like let's just do this and yeah, we're gonna yeah. do this. Yeah. Cool off screen Drusillament like coming into the fore where she goes back to the mansion to get the chains or whatever. She's pushing all these baby dolls out of the way and like pulling out all their clothes and shit. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. The Giles Buffy scene where they bond over dead lovers, dead partners oh, yeah. was very touching and heartbreaking. And I just, I, the whole time, even though I like this episode, I feel sad that it's in this episode, but but I guess I guess maybe I'm okay with it afterwards. Because at first I was like, this is too good to be in this episode. But now I think we've all settled. Like, this is pretty good. This is a good episode, and maybe it's made better because we have long extended conversations with our friends about really serious things. After Jenny was killed, I had dreams that she was still alive, that I saved her. This was vivid. Really vivid. Three-dimensional sense around the hills are alive. Do you believe it was a prophecy? No. I, I don't know. I, I guess it just, it made me wonder. Yeah, no, it's a really sweet moment and it's super sad because Giles is like, I say for, it reminds me of the thing uh, in season six when Spike's talking about Buffy's death and he's like, I saved, or he's talking to Buffy when she comes back, I saved you every night, I saved you. Because he's dreaming about it. Like, that's so fucking sad. Same yeah. thing. I may be a cold-blooded jelly donut. But at least I have impeccable timing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was cute. Super cute. When is Oz showering? When is anyone showering? Xander is wearing the same outfit when he shows up to do Ozwatch because he is the next day, which looks like fucking pajamas, by the way. What is that outfit? Buffy's staying the night wearing the same clothes. Same clothes. When is anyone fucking showering? At least Oz is being brought fresh clothes for when he wakes up in the morning, presumably. But, like, are they... What time is it when they all get there at the library? It's got to be early, right? You're thinking that probably the sun has come up and Oz is just... I, I don't know. So even if it's 6 o'clock, is he going to the gym and taking a shower? When are these people doing anything? They're not understand. showering. I yeah, think that's the answer. Just being dirty teenagers for three see, days? We see Scott Hope and he's like, I was going to say that you look great today, but now that I know you haven't slept, I'm going to raise it to amazing. And I'm like... She was wearing that yesterday. <laughs> what were you doing yesterday that you didn't notice? But to be fair, Incredible. her little lilac scoop neck shirt thing is fucking adorable. It was cute. Am I missing something, or did Giles seem like he was cold to Oz? I felt like every time he was around Oz, Giles was in rare form. Not only is he like a 10 of 10 for getting shot, <laughs> oh, which yeah, is amazing, right. but like... Am I the only one reading that? Like, yeah, just when he, like, catch. walks into the thing and he's, like, looking down at Oz and he's, like, sleeping there, he just, like, clicks the little thing and, like, opens the door well, a little. because he's naked. I think it was more like, a, oh, you're there. I know, but it's okay. not just that. It's kind of like, it, I don't know, just every interaction with Giles, it just felt cold. I'm going gonna, I'm hmm. gonna to dive into this more, guys, okay. so stay tuned. Stay tuned. I liked the little fight scene between Oz and Pete when Oz is like, I, I don't think you're gonna, you understand what's gonna happen, man. <laughs> He's like, wait, maybe you do get it. And then they're like fighting and Oz is just like tiny and small. 
and uh, totally getting beaten up, and then yes. the sun sets or whatever, and he was like, "Time's up, rules change." And I just thought that was it was so cheesy, but also like such a fun moment for him to like finally not be ashamed of being a werewolf to be like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's do this." And he got slammed through that thick ass table, that yeah. library table. That he would have not sur- really survived. That would not have felt good. Mm-hmm. Three kinds of fucking jello. We have three kinds of jello at this school. What? I mean, hey, with marshmallows. California. What? I believe it. Where were adult. adults in this whole episode? I just th- this is a weird show that like we've talked about it a lot. Where there's no one here, and I think it's actually made better because we don't see Snyder, we don't do the police, and season one and two really leaned on that weirdly in, in stories like this. Mm-hmm. Even like Reptile Boy, which is I think is a really great like uh, sort of a sister to this episode, if you will. It at the very end we get like that weird news report that like these organizations of men are crumbling around to the dust because the cult powers have been broken. Like right. weird. And this doesn't do that to its, to its credit. But I just, I do wonder where the fuck is Snyder? Like <laughs> one of your fucking teachers got murdered, like mm-hmm. murder, yep. murdered. Mm-hmm. And that, that's rough murder. That's a big murder. What does Buffy do after that? I feel Buffy so just walks Buffy away in that moment. She's like, I'm finally confiding in someone. Oh, of course you're, you're dead. Yeah. Everyone's the dead. moment she says, don't talk, let don't uh, move. Let me talk. And I'm like, he did. He did. Burgundy leather coat. Surprised you didn't mention it. That's one of your favorite things. Where? Buffy. It's really a dark red, but when? it does show up later in the season. When she is, I don't know, it comes over the lilac shirt later. When she's oh, outside. I don't believe it. Absolutely. I don't it's in there. It's absolutely When they're so like slaying with Faith or something? or. I, I think when she goes uh, with Angel like to the mansion and stuff, she's wearing the burgundy Shit. leather coat. I am really sad I missed that. You're always on red leather coat watch. Everyone ends it. up wearing it. Buffy wears it. Riley wears it. Tara wears it. Everyone gets that red leather coat. I'm excited. Action, so. All right. So the watch officially begins and I will keep – I got one more. Uh, so much sex again. We talked a lot about sex last week. Tons of sex this episode. We talked about the full and the half of Monty. That's right. Half of Monty. Oh, good. Half? You and Oz? Which half? Wouldn't you like to know? We talked about do the diddy or do the diddly. I don't diddly. know. Diddy, diddly. Diddly. Uh, from Faith, the smooch spot from Buffy, who has not gone there nope. with Scott Hope. And uh, Faith talking about that down low tickle. Did you ever catch kids doing the diddy out here? No. Uh, there's a smooch spot up by the woods. It's usually where kids go. Yeah? Bet you and Scott have been up there kicking the gear shift. Hardly. Only been on a few dates. But you like him. And when you think about him, you get that good down low tickle, right? How low are we talking? Yes. Gross. Everything is horrible, and I hate it when they talk about this in a moment. muffin. The muffin. Blueberry. I know. <laughs> 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 stuff on the Hate it. <sighs> okay, uh, I have three more things to yell. Sure. Why did Killing Pete make Angel not a monster anymore? Right? Like, why, why was that the <laughs> thing that brought him out of it? Why was that the moment where yeah. he was like, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. <laughs> well, that was a weird moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then also, I love moments on TV shows where we get characters telling stories about other characters, but they don't actually know what happened. And we get that at the end with Pete when they're like, It's all over school. What happened with Debbie and Pete? Except for that Pete was a monster part. Yeah, a freshman told me that Pete had eight iced cafe mochas and just lost it. It's better than the estrogen theory. I heard he took all of his mother's birth control pills. He didn't? Pete was a monster? Where have I been? In your special place, Cora, which is why I adore you. So what's the true story? What happened? Well, we got a hold of uh, Pete's lab books and stuff, and Mr. Science was doing a Jekyll Hyde deal. He was afraid Debbie was going to leave him, so he mixed this potion to become super moss macho. The only thing was, after a while, he didn't need the potion to turn into a bad guy. He did it just fine on his own. So it was like a real killing. He wasn't under the influence of anything, just himself. Okay, well, first of all, I like that it wasn't just, it was a gas leak, the rumor oh, yes. is that he drank a bunch of coffee and lost it. Right. But, like, what does Buffy tell Scott? <laughs> how do you, yeah. how does a fledgling, fledgling relationship make it past my ex-boyfriend killed your best friend? I thought she was going to break up with him. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. Does he think it's the coffee's thing? Ooh. I mean, they break up they, their relationships over as of the next episode, so. But just, know, but they but never still. ask, so he never nope. well, we thinks don't know. to... So he didn't, I mean, I guess, like like he was saying, they were just friends for a long time. I've got friends like that, too. I don't know anything about their real lives. So he must, I wonder if he knows, though. I wonder, he probably doesn't know that he was, like, beating on Debbie. But, like, surely he would have, like, been like, well, this is weird that they both got outed at the same time. Like, where are they? Yeah, how? 
It's very weird what that he was just What is the official accept. story of how Pete died? Right? Yeah. I mean, it would be something, again, that adults and Snyder and stuff would have to also... Because... Yeah, that would give out to the world. Like, should be a death that would have consequence. Him and Debbie, yeah. unlike like the monsters that aren't aren't real, don't exist. So like, who cares if you kill them? Right. Yeah, but it's or, like, like the this psychiatrist. Like, like yeah, he, he's like, sitting there dead, and like in theory, we never see the second half of the scene where Buffy and Angel just walk out of the room and leave two dead bodies. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. what does become? I mean, I think body? it is explained. That's why they're talking about like he had the twelve voice mochas or whatever. Uh, that Pete did kill those three people. He killed Debbie, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. flat, okay. and, uh, and yeah. yeah. But what, like, how did he die? How did he die? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can't cool. strangle yourself with a chain like that, Don't right? So. Well, or, but maybe they. Or there's no chain. It is supposed to be a suicide, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's how they explained it. Uh, Xander button down and uh, tank top watch. He had it on. I thought for sure oh. it was over, but no. Tank top and button down. I'm going to keep my eye All right. out. Tank top button down watch. Uh, maroon <laughs> jacket watch. That's right. Sweet. Um, I'm sorry, hang on. That, when Angel kills Pete, it is so fucking violent. That's one of the most violent deaths we've ever seen on the show. He just takes that tra- the chain and oh, fucking yeah. strangles him. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness. Oz's stunt double is fucking amazing. I couldn't tell when it was him ever. Did you guys notice that? When the when him and Pete are fighting before Oz turns, um, it, it looks just fucking like him. The hair is... Oh, I, I so I'm like, did he do his own stunts? I couldn't find anything. But yeah, I mean, he gets thrown around quite a bit. He's thrown mm-hmm. onto the steps and everything. I was like, that... That is fuck, and he's little. He's five three. So like, wow. you'd think you'd notice if there's a huge height disparity. Yeah. But I don't well, know. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe he did his own stuff. I mean, he was looking ripped in the little cage. He's got like abs and stuff. This is the, the Seth Green must watch this and be like, "Oh, that's so cool." Yeah. Remember that time? Oh man, <laughs> you know, for all the show, like, definitely dates itself. Oz is always cool, just supremely cool all the way through. Oh, so absolutely. It's gonna be great. I'm excited for this Oz stuff. Uh, anything else we want to say before we get to the business? Where's the business? The business. <laughs> How low is it? The business is uh, We're a Real Podcast. You can find us at BeatMePod everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Tumblr, Uh We also have a Spotify playlist that has every episode that's been in, in uh, every, a song from every episode. Oh my gosh. We also have a Spotify playlist at Beat Me Hyphen Funtime playlist for podcast fans season three that'll have the songs that are in every episode that are available on Spotify. And if we use any songs during the podcast, they'll also be featured on there. So if you're into that, go check it out. Um, I think let's, it's time. Let's write this sucker. Well, we'll actually talk about the net. Not a goddamn computer or mention of wish stuff at all in sight. So five, unfortunately, it makes me sad because I wish there was something to... But we don't think that her going and, and hacking Look, you know, I, the I, morgue. I am want to stretch. Okay, but are, uh, yeah. I can't give it there. Giles, though, yeah, 10. Looking fly. Looks caring like. about Buffy with that whole conversation about the angel thing. He's so serious training. in this episode. So and he serious. gets knocked the fuck out via tranquilizer. So new fun in a way <laughs> to be incapacitated. That was a lot of fun. I'm very happy that happened. Me too. Joyce, five. Not showing up. Lovely. The Great best part about job. the episode, yes. <laughs> Monster of the Week. So Pete's makeup uh, is, is logical to me that like he just becomes really vascular, kind of like all roided out kind of person. And I thought it looked okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looked believable. He turns extra pink, which is fun. Uh, maybe because all the blood rushing to his his body parts. Uh, but um, and um. and for you know the big bad domestic abuse is really and terrifying, and that's a huge fucking thing for the show to tackle. And he gets a decent body count. He kills three fucking people, yeah. which a lot of the monsters on the show end up not killing anyone. So uh, I give it a nine out of ten. Uh, yeah. relationships. Willow and Oz are the cutest fucking thing that's like, ah! I remember when Stacia and I were rewatching the series uh, a year or so ago, and she was talking about how Willow and Oz were her favorite, and it's like, I am like, in my nature, to my mm-hmm. core, can't not love Willow and Tara, because mm-hmm. it it's just like, in my DNA. But again, watching this episode, like, I lift so much of Oz's dialogue and stuff, like, he's such a cool character, and they are so fucking cute together. I like, the Willow and Terror that exist in my heart are a better relationship. The Willow and Terror that we get to see on screen are not. Willow and Oz are what's up. She's so supportive. She's like, you're a werewolf and I get it. And I want to be here for mm-hmm. Elmina. I'll watch you when you're in the cage to make sure you don't get hurt or get out. It's so fucking cute. And then when he's like, okay, uh, you know that thing where you bail in the middle of an upsetting conversation? I have to do that. It's kind of dramatic, I know, but sometimes it's a necessary guy thing. And I want you to. 
do the guy thing, but... No, I understand, but you can't, because you're going to turn into a werewolf. That was adorable. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just like their entire arc, too, because they go through a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. but we do see them again in the comics, and he's hanging out in Mongolia or whatever. Yeah, and, like, and I'm like, But they cool. do, and they do a mission together, and they're, like, cool together. Yeah. And he's got a new wife and everything, and they yep. have a kid, yep. and Willow is very conflicted about that, but then comes around and... Yeah, it was really cool. It's just a nice little like end to Oz. I don't know if he comes back or not after that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but that was a, a really great little aside. It was cool to see him in this little wolf pack and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, it was adorable. Um, but yeah, they're just so cute and supportive. They're such a great, healthy relationship mm-hmm. on this show. Probably the healthiest one of all. Because even Willow and Terry gets fucking weird and abusive, and like no one yeah, else really well, has. Obviously, I mean, what's more with feeling is nothing but yeah. Gaslighting her. yeah. And uh, Xander's always Xander patronizing and shitty blah, blah, blah. to Cordelia. And even Anya. He's always constantly like, you're just a demon. You don't understand anything, small woman. You don't know. Where is Anya? Where's Anya? She hasn't showed up yet. She shows up in The Wish. Oh, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. Anya Watch. Is it in this effect. season? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the Wish and Doppelganglander in this season. She shows up in three episodes total, I think. I can't wait to see Anya. Like, maybe four with Graduation Day Part 1 and 2. Anyway, uh, Willow and Oz are fucking adorable and I love them. Uh, as far as other relationships or characters... Uh, I think everyone's kind of pushed to the background in this episode, so it's hard to tell. So I put the heft of the ranking. I mean, obviously, our, our B story of... Uh, well, not the B story. The the relationship of Debbie and Pete is a fucking problem. Well, yes. uh, but that's that's wrapped up in Monster of the Week, so I can't really yeah. do anything about that. Sure. And uh, Scott and Buffy were actually really cute. Mm, they do. I mean, fine. I can't fucking stand that guy because he's a dweeb, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're nice. And, Rude. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's pretty pretty great, so I gave that uh, an eight, Makes only sense. really brought down by... Oh, and even Faith is integrating well, you know? Well, Faith was so nice to not have Faith be the the center of this episode. It was so nice to have her just, like, dancing to some punk and, like... Oh, I forgot to yell that. You can't shake a disc man that much. Oh, no, she's no really way. just going crazy. Yeah, it would not work. Episode specific. Stolen from Stacia. Thank you. Credit to you. Don't make me angry, Debbie. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Three of ten. <laughs> so, it gives a 40 overall. Three of ten. You were definitely working with your little magic points. Famously, I overranked the shit out of Faith Open Trick because that's what I do with episode three. All episode threes will always be overranked. We no can sleep what. well at night because we didn't make that mistake. <laughs> you did. Yes. So 40 for that puts Beauty and the Beast at number two for the season. So we've got Faith, Hope, and Trick, number one. This episode two, Dead Man's Party underneath that. And then Anne at the bottom where it belongs. <laughs> I like that shade to Anne for no reason. You're next. Oh, I'm next. Um, so I ranked this as 18 out of 38. Okay. So slight slightly higher than in the middle. What's around it? It's below phases and I only have eyes for you. And then above what's my land part one and faith, hope, and trick. It's above that, okay. So this is your number one for the season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. Makes sense. And I was incredibly tempted looking at mine to put it one above faith, hope, and trick <laughs> as well. I just won, just won. So last mm-hmm. week was, uh, I put it uh, at 78 was faith, hope, and trick. And I was going to make the 77. But I just can't. Something inside of me just... I think Faith, Hope, and Trick is more fun. And we had such a good time with our friends. And that really... I, I can't overstate that enough. So I'm going to put this at 79. One below. Faith, Hope, and Trick. But super high. As I know, I, I did not like this episode before. As we all had really mm-hmm. bad feelings about this. But man, what a treat. Yeah. It's way better than I I'm thought. I'm really curious. What was... Like, why we hated it so much the first time around. Or the multiple times I've watched it. I just always remember this thing. I just think it's well, heavy-handed. Really, that I is... I always forget about the rest of it. Like, we were looking at the synopsis and it said something about Oz and Angel. And I'm like, are you sure this is the one with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in it? Yeah. Like, I don't think of those as being connected. Yeah. realm, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just that. I think maybe it's just coming off of the Faith stuff and then there's no Faith. I don't know. Maybe it's just like the way that you watch it when you binge it. You know, you're sort of just going through. But yeah, now that we're taking our time. Actually mm-hmm. watching it as it airs basically is mm-hmm. this is a different feel for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get some space and yeah. That's why we're yeah. doing it. I mean, I think if you're binging it, it's like a whatever episode like kind of washes over you and in the end you're just like, oh yeah, there was the guy who was kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 
And then, like, that's all you take away from that episode, because the rest of it's, like, integrated into, like, the greater story of, like, what we know about the characters. Yeah, I think binging really gives over more to that feeling of, like, oh, I just have to get through this one because the next one's great. Now yeah. it's like, this is the one we're watching this week. You this better fucking watch it. Like, well, think <laughs> about a binge, too. Like, what's the what's the best case scenario is that you started with Anne and made your way here. That's a rough like go. in a day, yeah. In a day. So, like, <laughs> you're going to be pretty mad by the time you get to the <laughs> And your best case scenario is that somehow you start with the you either start with Dead Man's Party and then it's horrible, or you start with Faith, Hope, and Trick, and then not only are you informed like oh it's an okay episode, and then or maybe you're not that keen on it, and then you're not that keen on this, and then you have Homecoming, which is great, and then you stop at Band Candy, which is the best, and then you're like oh everything before was bullshit, <laughs> you know, so it's like a lose lose no matter what yeah. unless you're watching just one one at a time because I don't think this benefits from its its friends on the other sides of it because they're much better. Uh, any final thoughts on Beauty and the Beast? No. All right. Well, it's a wrap. We will be back in two weeks, November 3rd, for Homecoming. Famously, Daniel hates the shit out of this episode, or at I least did. So We're different loud. people now, so who knows? I don't know if I'm going to remember what I was actually mad about. I'm, I'm curious to watch it again. I don't know what I was so curious. mad about. Yeah. All right, Station, say goodbye. Goodbye. Daniel, say goodbye. Don't tell me what to do. See you in two weeks for Slayerfest 98. Lighting the lamp to let my bathed in ghostly day. And the strain of the primitive remained alive and active. Faithfulness and devotion. Things born of fire and roof were his. Yet he retained his wildness and wiliness. And from the depths of the forest, a call still sounded.